0: Please join us on Wednesday, March 8th to celebrate International Women's Day at the third annual Empowerography Live Women's Online Conference. The event will be running from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have 31 of the most incredibly inspirational, transformative, and influential women around who will be speaking at the conference. You can pick up tickets on my website at www.empowerographypodcast.com. They're on sale now for only $20 Canadian. That's 15 bucks for our U.S. friends. We hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Andrea Sampson. She is the CEO and founder of Talk Boutique. She's also an executive speakers coach who works with TED Speakers. Welcome, Andrea. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great, Brad. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I'm really excited about jumping in and learning more about your journey and sharing all about All the things, Andrea and Talk Boutique.
1: Yeah, I'm excited as well.
0: (laughs) So I'm curious, Andrea, as mentioned, you're the CEO and founder of Talk Boutique. You're also involved in the TEDx community. And as I mentioned, you're an executive speakers coach who works also with TED speakers. What were you doing for a living before you started up Talk Boutique?
1: Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a, an eclectic background. So I come out of the marketing and advertising world. In fact, I spent the first probably almost 25 years of my career working in marketing and advertising, working for some of the largest agency networks in the world on some of the world's most recognizable brands. And I was a strategist, a planner. My job was to understand why we make the buying decisions we make. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of analysis. And what I would do in the agency world was to uncover core insights, what we would use as the basis for ad campaigns. So I worked between the client, so the brand itself, and the creative teams who were developing the creative. So I was sort of that in-between, representing the voice of the consumer. And
0: so then what was the catalyst for you to leave corporate behind and make the jump into entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I got to a point in my career, you know, after, like I said, almost 25 years of looking at myself. And in fact, I was approaching 50 at the time and I started asking myself, you know, where from here? I, I looked at my life and went back to those early days of my career and realized that all those goals that I had set out for myself, you know, whatever they were, I had already achieved them. And here I was, you know, working. I I was a, you know, a senior leader in, you know, one of the largest agency networks in the world and was like, okay, and I don't feel fulfilled. And so I didn't know what I was looking for. I only knew I was looking for something. And I started going to conferences and one of them, that I went to was a TEDx conference here in Toronto. It was in the early, early days of TEDx, and TEDx Toronto at the time, and continues today, was um, one of the largest and most respected of the TEDx's worldwide.
0: Really? Worldwide Toronto?
1: Yeah. Wow. In fact, they were TEDx Toronto was either the first or the second TEDx ever to be offered worldwide. Yeah, we were very much ahead of the curve. There was an amazing team who brought the brand to Toronto. I unfortunately wasn't part of that team, but I was <laughs> on board a couple of years later. But anyway, I'd gone to the TEDx conference and was blown away and came to find out it was all volunteer run. So I put my hand up and said, hey, I, I want to be a part of this. And I got Volun hired as a speaker's coach because all TEDxs are run by Volunteer's volunteers, but they were very choosy on who they brought on. And so I went through a, it was an entire interview process, but I didn't know what a speaker's coach was. You know, the reality was I had spent most of my career presenting in front of very large audiences, so I didn't think it was a big stretch for me. But I learned pretty quickly that, you know, the TED world is a completely different world when it comes to presentations, and a TED talk is like no other talk you will ever give. And what I learned in that first year of working as a TED speaker coach, a TEDx speaker coach, was invaluable, and it shifted and shaped Everything that has come from that point forward. And that was, gosh, over 10, maybe 12 years ago now, as I as I look back.
0: Volun hired. I love that.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> better <harder> than voluntold. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I,
0: I've been voluntold. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now I'm curious then, with what you said about how rigorous the process was. Now I know that just from speaking to different people how tough the process is to become a speaker so i can only imagine the depth and the what's the word i'm looking for the 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 process to become a, a, a TED speaker coach. Like it's got to be far more intense than the process to become a speaker.
1: Well, you know, every TEDx is different. But what I can tell you about TEDx Toronto, and especially at that time, is they had the team that was running it were just a special group of, of individuals. Many of them came out of the tech world, startup world, and out of the agency world, actually. And they knew what they were looking for. And it wasn't so much a skill set as it was a mindset. They wanted Wanted people who were curious about the future, who wanted to create an impact, and who were willing to take on a very demanding volunteer role. I mean, the reality was, as a speakers coach working on TEDx Toronto, I was probably putting in between 10 and 15 hours a week of volunteer work for about six months on top of, you know, an already very packed schedule as a a senior executive in advertising. And so it was rigorous. I mean, I I went through several interviews. They did reference checks. I mean, it was all of that. And when I, I, I'll never forget, walking into my very first meeting, because one of the things I didn't understand about being volunteer at that point was that not only was I a, a speaker's coach, I was being asked to be a speaker's coach, but I was actually part of the programming team, which meant that I was part of the team that was going to be selecting all the speakers for, the, oh, wow. for that year. And so that was a big wow of like, holy cow, how do you even find you know <laughs> speakers, right? And so I remember walking in, and there were probably... I think there were about eight people sitting around the table on the programming team. And I was clearly the oldest person in the room. And they were so smart. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like I didn't, first of all, didn't know this whole world existed. And secondly, I feel really, really honored to be amongst this group of people.
0: Now, I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of listeners out there who would love to know And who are very interested in the process to become a TEDx speaker. And for those who might not know the process, could you walk us through a little bit of that? And how it works. I mean also I'm curious too, (laughs) I've got all these questions that are just coming to mind here. To be a volunteer to work with Ted, is that process rigorous as well, just to volunteer, not to become a coach, but just to volunteer with Ted?
1: So yes. I mean to, to work on the TEDx brand, especially in TEDx Toronto. But you know, and again, just to be clear, you know, TEDx the difference between TED and TEDx, and maybe we'll start there. TED is a not for profit organization headquartered out of New York. With an event that happens yearly in Vancouver and that is a an organization so that's not volunteer that is you know that's a group of people who are paid to do that and they have several events so they have the big event that happens in Vancouver they have ted women and then they have one or two other events that happen somewhere in the world throughout the year but those are ted events TEDx is a a licensed brand. So in order to get a TEDx license, you have to apply to TED. They give you a license and there's a series of requirements that you need to follow in order to maintain that brand. And so TEDx organizers are all over the world and every TEDx has, there's a playbook in terms of how you run a tedx event but there's a lot left up to the organizer themselves so you know some of the things that are true regardless is that you cannot be paid to be on a tedx event it is completely volunteer run and speakers are not paid to be on a tedx stage or on a ted stage which again is part of it but from there and then there are guidelines but every tedx organizer will do their own approach but here's i can tell you generally and being in the tedx community and having you know spent time with many many TEDx organizers worldwide we all tend to do things in a similar way so the first thing is you need to find speakers and in order to find speakers there's two main ways that that happens one is through what's called a, a community nomination process so they put out a call for entries and anyone can nominate someone as a TEDx speaker. Now, again, not all TEDxes do this, but this is generally one of the ways in which it's done. So there's usually a nomination process where you go into usually an online form and you can fill out, answer a, a number of questions to nominate someone. Now you can nominate someone you know, or you can nominate yourself. Self-nomination is totally fine and it's not looked at in any way different from a an external nomination. Um, and so that's one way in which we find TED speakers or TEDx speakers. The other way is through the committee itself, through the organizing. And what we would do on TEDx Toronto is it would be a combination of people we would bring to the table as the committee along with the community nomination process. And through that process for TEDx Toronto, when I worked on it, we would get usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 to 1,000 applications or Nominations for about 10 to 12 spots on. Oh
0: my. Gosh!
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, and we would read everyone. It didn't matter whether we brought that person to the table or whether they were nominated. Everything was treated in the same way. And so we read every application. We reviewed every potential speaker we would do. And most of the time, no one would know this was going on. So we did all of this sort of a bit in isolation of any of those nominations. And then at a certain point, we would shortlist it, down to usually about 20 to 30. And at that point, then we would start inviting some uh, interaction with the potential speaker for us to get a better sense of who makes sense for the stage for that year.
0: That is an incredibly laborious process. (laughs) Borious process. <laughs> 752. And you have to go through every single one of them.
1: I mean, we would have there would usually about anywhere from six to ten of us that were going through those oh. applications. And we would meet weekly. It would take us about four weeks to get fully through it and to debt to shortlist it. And let me tell you, like the meetings that we would have, <laughs> because we would every week we would get together, we would even we would each have so many that we would have to review, and then we would come back to the table with our our favorites that we would pitch, you know, to each other. And then it would be, you know, the yay or nay process and, and then we, it would get heated, you know, like, (laughs) like we would, you know, somebody would be love, be in love with somebody and and another person would go, no, they don't, you know? And so we would have those kinds of interactions and it was, you know, it was, but it was fun and it was important. Like we really, really felt that it was important that we do that kind of work and that we give everybody the same chance because, You know, everybody has the opportunity to create a difference and we wanted to make sure that we got the right people on the stage and not just the people that one of us or two of us thought were right.
0: And so this is once a year only.
1: Yeah. Well, again, everyone is different, but yeah, Phoenix, Toronto. Yes, that's correct.
0: Wow. that I can't believe that. So how long in total then would it take you from the time you got your 750 to a thousand applications to finally picking the 10 spots?
1: It would take us about six weeks.
0: Okay. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, no. from from that that amount to whittle it down to 10 and 6, that's pretty damn good, I would say.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we had a it was a a rigorous process because, you know, you had to identify those speakers, but then you had to put them through. And what we would do is we put them through a coaching protocol. And again, not all TEDx's do this, but we did. We felt it was very important that every speaker who were on our stage be coached. Yeah. So that coaching protocol, it was about a 12 week coaching protocol that we would put people through. So we had to have people identified. You know, at least three months prior to the event, and in fact, it was really for It was sixteen weeks by the time you put in. You know, first of all, you had to notify them. You had to get everybody. You know, like all of the logistical stuff, and so by the time the coaching started, it you know that took you about a a month into all the logistics because everyone is doing this as a volunteer, and you yeah. know we've got real lives that happen.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you had stated that you were doing this while you were working in the industry. So you were volunteering and your full time job. So I'm curious how the whole story unfolds in terms of Talk Boutique. Where does that come in? Can you elaborate more on that story and where and how Talk Boutique came about?
1: Sure. So that first year, you know, I I said I was sort of in this place of searching of what was next for me. I was still working and, you know, didn't really, was sort of in the question, I guess. And I started working on TEDx and that first year I coached four speakers. And I remember being blown away by the quality of people I was working with. But more importantly, The world I was getting to see. Because as you start working with these speakers, you get a peek into their world. And, you know, I was working with scientists and academics who were literally changing the world. And I remember at the time thinking, Why have I never heard of any of this? You know, like our our world is so good at telling us all the bad news that's going on, but we don't get to see the good news. And suddenly here I am working with people who are doing good things and big things in the world. And I started to have this epiphany of, wait a minute, maybe maybe this is my tribe. Maybe these are the people that I'm meant to be around. And so I came back the next year as a speaker's coach. They, they actually wanted me to be the director of programming. And I turned it down because I, I wasn't ready to step into a bigger role. But that year, I really went deep in working with only scientists and academics. And it really just blew me away. So the next year when I came back, I took on the role of Director of Programming. And in that year, I started to really understand what was happening behind the scenes of our world. Like, I got to see so many good things happening. And I, at that point, decided to take a sabbatical from advertising. I quit my job and decided that I was going to make some big life changes. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I only knew at that point that it was time for me to do something different. And so I was director of programming for TEDx Toronto. I was in the process of selling my home and buying a new one and traveling and doing all of these things. And in the question of what was next for me, and I remember coming back, we were, the event itself, TEDx Toronto takes place in the fall. And um, I think it was in October that year. And I remember around September sitting down with a couple of my speakers coaches. So I was the director of programs, so I had about six, I think, speakers coaches who were working with me on the event that year. And a couple of us were sitting down talking about this incredible roster of speakers we had ready to go on stage. And we were always blown away by by the speakers that we we had. And, you know, I remember speaking with one of them and saying, you know, wouldn't it be great if this is what we could do every day? Mm-hmm. And this particular person looked at me and he said, well, you know, you could like, this is a job. And I was like, no, no one would ever pay <laughs> me for this. <laughs> and and he, he was like, absolutely, they would pay you for this. And so we got to talking. And it was from that conversation that we formed Talk Boutique. And in, and when I originally launched Talk Boutique, it was with a partner. I now own the company 100% myself, but mm-hmm. in the early days, I did have a partner. And so we launched it from that place. And we launched it not only because this was something that I loved to do, but actually where the conversation started was from the place of, wow, it's so sad that You know, those thousand people that we get the applications from and those 10 people or 12 people who make it onto stage, all of them are doing such good work in the world. And it's so sad that the world doesn't know about them. And as we were talking, we were sort of formulating like, well, what would it take in order for them to to be known in the world. And, you know, like one of the realities of most head speakers is that they're not a fully formed speaker. Like they're often so busy doing the work, they're not telling anyone about it. So they don't have a talk or a video or, you know, a platform. They're just often a scientist or an academic or a technologist or somebody who's doing really big work in the world. And so we were like, well, you'd have to train them. I mean, number one, you'd have to help them in terms of their ability to speak. But then it was like, yes, and you'd also have to help them get the assets they need in order to be seen. Like they need a video, they need all of these things. Yeah. So, so we were like, well, what could that look like? And that was, it was through that it was like, well, what if we created a business where we were a speakers bureau who focused on these deep subject matter experts and we helped them to get the videos, to get the platform, to, to do all of that. And on the other side of it, we were also speakers coaches who worked with them. And so we had both sides of the business And that was how it was born. It was born out of the desire to help these deep subject matter experts be seen in the world and be heard so that the work that they're doing could get the amplification that it deserves. Because some of them make it onto a TED stage, you know, 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, hundreds more who were equally as deserving, but for whatever reason, just didn't make it that particular year. What about them? Who's helping them? And so that was the impetus behind Talk Boutique. And
0: Talk Boutique was born. <laughs> I love it. So the gentleman that you were first talking about this with, like you said, he told you, oh, yes, you certainly can. He, is he the gentleman who you started Talk Boutique with?
1: Yes, he is. Okay.
0: And what happened, if I, if I may ask, that he, moved, he just moved on? He didn't want to be part of it anymore?
1: Well, you know, I think, you know, in, in retrospect, we all come into things from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I'm a, a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I uh, I'm a glass half full. I'm an optimist, and I yeah. and I'm an idealist. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm an idealist, and so when I started Talk Boutique, from my perspective, what I wanted to do was help people, and in helping people, I knew that you know that I could make a living doing that, or at least I thought and hoped that that was the case. Right. And for my my ex-business partner, you know, he was he's much more of a capitalist. And so he came at it from, hey, here's a great opportunity to make money. And in doing so, we can help people. And that in the early days didn't really seem like our our overall need and desire and values base of helping people was there. The overlap was there. But as the business became more and more successful, it became clearer and clearer that that priority mismatch was really driving us in different directions. And it started to really drive a wedge between us. And in fact, what happened was, and I think sometimes this is the case when you've got the values mismatch, there was a lot of Suspicion around motives and around why one or the other was doing something. And it just became very untenable very quickly. And so we made the decision to to split up actually about three days before the pandemic hit. Oh, wow was a whole other a whole yeah. other thing. But, you know, I'm grateful to him for helping to get this business off the ground and I'm very glad that we both made the decision we did when we did regardless of whether the pandemic
0: hit. Yeah. And so Talk Boutique, you help people with TEDx talks, but your focus is to help More so, I guess, those who don't get the opportunity to get on the TED stage and they have something big and something worth saying and something where people worth hearing to put out into the world. You help them get talks elsewhere.
1: Yeah. And so now, I mean, the way that I, I describe what we do now is that we help experts and change makers transform into thought leaders by helping them to understand the power of story and utilize it to convey their messages so that they can create the impact that they want to make and you know if you think about ted ted is an incredible storytelling platform but it's you know story is essential in the elements of getting people to understand but equally as important and this is what ted does so incredibly well is it's all about the idea It's ideas worth sharing. And so when you take an idea and you wrap it in story, which is what a TED Talk is, what you get is you get an opportunity to create impact in a way that is not possible using data, facts, and the ways in which so many experts and change makers tend to convey their message.
0: Beautiful. Now, as you just mentioned, a big part of what you do at Talk Boutique is transforming experts and change makers into thought leaders. So I'm curious, what's the difference between an expert regular leadership regular leadership and thought leadership?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So an expert I mean, there's, you know, if we think of experts, there are literally millions of experts out there. Experts are people who are highly trained, you know, deeply committed to whatever their craft or, or expertise is. And they may or may not be a leader. If you think about a leader, a leader may or may not be an expert. You know, those two things are mutually exclusive. You know, you can, there is overlap, but they, they aren't necessarily the same thing. But the transformation, whether you're a leader or an expert or a changemaker, into a thought leader is a very different thing because the difference between any of those previous things, leader, change maker, expert, and a thought leader is the level of understanding that the audience has with what it is that thought leader is conveying. And that level of understanding comes through the use of many different techniques. And, you know, as a leader or an expert or a change maker, they probably would never call themselves a thought leader. And it's not a title we, c- we claim ourselves. It's what our audience gives us. And why do they give us that? Because what we've done is we've helped to transform data and fact and story into wisdom. We've given our audience information in a way that makes sense for them. And we've done that because through the lens of our own experience. And that's what thought leaders do. They use their experience, their lived experience, their life experience as a way for others to understand complex information and really important world-changing concepts. And to do that in a way that we each understand, you know, it's, it's why we need more diversity, in thought leadership, because that lived experience is such an essential part of the thought leadership. We each understand it when we hear it put through a lens that maybe one of us has an understanding of, you know, and I I think we, you know, as as a woman, this is something that I saw a lot growing up, you know, and I used to, you know, when I was in my advertising days, I would get asked a lot, who were your mentors growing up? And I didn't really have any. Why? Well, because most of the leaders who were out there didn't really look like me. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard for me to even understand some of the leadership concepts because it was told through a lens that was so foreign to me. Today, we see more women in leadership roles, and we have some really amazing female thought leaders who are helping to make female leadership a lot more accessible to the generations that are coming up, and it's because they're using their lived experience, and that's what a thought leader does. It's the incorporation of story, of data, of knowledge, of fact, of experience, all put together in such a way that the people listening have insights and epiphanies that they couldn't have had without all of that together
0: i love it now keeping with that same theme of women in leadership i'm curious your thoughts on how women continue because i mean let's be honest those barriers are are still there quite Mm -hmm. prevalent for women so how do you think in your opinion from your experience and what you've been through and what you've experienced and now being an entrepreneur yourself how do women continue to break through those barriers and continue to evolve for other women how do they continue to blaze that trail and break through so that more women can continue on that path as well do you think
1: well i think i think number 1 you know and and i say this not because i'm in this business but because i think it's really important is they need to use their voice they need to use their voice as a platform you know we need more diversity of thought leadership and we we need to hear more women talking I think it's it's essential so I think that's one way but I I also you know in like I said I didn't have any mentors because I couldn't see anyone who looked like me. And when we think about women as a group, we're not one thing, we're many things. There are, you know, women of color, there are women with different cultural backgrounds, you know, there are women like me who are neurodiverse. We all have a different approach. And so when we come forward and use our voice and use our authenticity and show ourselves for all the different ways that we are diverse, it allows others to come forward as well. Equally important, though, is that we continue to choose to move into leadership roles. Because I think this is something right now, especially coming out of the last couple of years, where women were really tasked to take on so much of the burden of not only their jobs, but also the home life. And we saw so many women exit the workforce and it's endemic, it's a real problem. And we need women to, first of all, choose to step into that leadership role. And then secondly, to in doing so, to put the boundaries around themselves to keep themselves well. Because it's not being a leader in the historic ways that we've been told leadership should be. Because those historic ways were the ways in which men led.
0: The patriarch, yeah, absolutely.
1: And we don't live in that world anymore and we have to create our own way. And so there's where we need you know, female leadership to step in and say, this is how we lead. I work with a group called Lean In Canada. Lean In is a a group of women leaders and and looking at that very thing. And so last year I was working with the, the board chair and we worked on a couple of different talks around this. And she had such an amazing approach to looking at what it is to create balance and I think, you know, it, it, you know, and if any of the listeners want to learn about that, I think they should check out Lean in Canada. I think some of those uh, talks are recorded. But what she was saying was, you know, it is okay to say no, it is okay yeah. to put the boundaries around, but it is also okay to choose to step in and to do more. But these are all choices that we make. And those choices have to be based on Finding the place of balance. Because when we say yes to a leadership role, we're actually saying no to some other parts of our lives. And that is essential for women to hear and understand. It's not doing it all. You can have it all just not at the same time.
0: Yes, that is a very important piece to point out. And Andrea, can you share, is there a web address for, for the yeah, women to actually, check out?
1: You know what, let me just look it up. Again, I'm not affiliated with them. Like we've yeah. done some work with them uh, and it's Lean in Canada.
0: I'll put it in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah, it's for... LeanInCanada.com.
0: Okay, it. perfect. Yeah. You know, I was, I've been speaking with a friend of mine a fair bit about this type of thing. And she was saying that she's encountering and connecting with and meeting a lot of women lately. And the conversation seems to be the same, where women are leaving corporate like a mass exodus because of the burnout, because it's so huge. And this plays right into that whole leadership bit. And, and yes, I mean, women have been programmed to believe that they can't have it all you have to choose one or the other career or home career or kids or whatever the case may be and you're right women can have it all but just not at once but if they're willing to step into that role of leadership you're right there are bits that are going to have to be sacrificed but it is possible i think the world would be so much better off if more women stepped into those roles we would see a huge shift around the world
1: Absolutely. And you know, like, the thing about it is, it's not just women. The reality is, no one can have it all at the same time. That's right. And it's something that, you know, if we look historically at the work world, men... That was known, right? And you know, historically, it was the woman stayed home and looked after the house and the kids yep. and, and made sure that the life, that everything that the man needed was there so yes. that he could go out and be stressed and do the work and do all the things that were required. When women came into the workforce, that shared load... There was some understanding of it and there was some, you know, to some degree, some discussion of it, but it never really equalized. And today, especially because of the pandemic, because we saw, you know, suddenly women were were all working from home and kids were, you know, now, you know, at home because they were homeschooling and all of a sudden everything was expected all at once of many of these female leaders. And so that really sort of broke that paradigm that, you know, we could do it all. And we just can't. And no one, like I said, and no one can. But it's no denying it now, I guess, what it did.
0: But that's a very good point you make, though, because yes, the men went out to work and it came off as they were doing everything, but they weren't every behind every good man is an incredibly powerful and amazing woman because she's at home back in those days, she's at home doing everything. So he didn't have to fucking worry about anything else. All he had to do is fucking go to work and make the money while the woman was the one at home doing all the other things. So it made it all seem seamless. And this man was this doing all of these things. No, he fucking wasn't. He was going to work and that's it. That's it. And not to minimize him going to work, but, it's it just it goes to your point that no one can do it all, women or men. It doesn't matter who it is, you cannot do it all. And honestly, I believe I'm of the mindset that we aren't meant to do entrepreneurship alone, we aren't meant to do life alone. It's all about community and support.
1: Absolutely. And that's the key. Absolutely. And and I think this is where as women, because we've been socialized. That we should do it all, we can do it all, and it's pushing backs against that socialization, and saying not only is that not true, we can't do it all, no one can do it all.
0: That's right. And
1: because of that, you know, we know, and 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 this is where women are really good because community is one of the the leadership traits that most women bring because it's it's innate for the yes. most part to women we love being in community and so it's getting over the the belief that to be in community to to lead through community is in some way less than and that's simply not true. No, it's that,
0: necessary.
1: Not only is it necessary, it's actually way more effective and that's what the world needs today. Absolutely. And we we saw that again when we look at if we go back to the early days of the pandemic, female led countries fared better than male 100%, well, surprise
0: Why? surprise.
1: Right. <laughs> Why? Because what they did was they took care of the community.
0: Yes. Right. 100%. And so
1: we saw it in action. And, you know, and so these are the things where it's just really allowing these things to be true.
0: That's an uphill battle, though, because it's a hard thing to convince people. I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, even, and community was so such a big part of my parents life and my life. And I think my, my mom used to babysit like six, seven kids, you know, like the kids, the parents dropped their kids off at neighbor's houses. You think about it now, we don't even fucking know who our neighbors are. We don't talk to them, nothing. It. We need to get back to those days of community and support. It is so integral in my belief to everything, to life. It's a lifeblood. We need it.
1: Well, you know, when you talk about about community and even the example of like looking after kids, what we're really talking about here is an element of emotional intelligence, right? Because that's actually what happens because within a community, you have a sense of self awareness, of empathy. You've got to have some conflict management skills. You've got to be adaptive, teamwork. And yet those are the very things that are often subjugated in the corporate world. Yeah. Right? You know, we don't want empathy here, right? Except yeah. without empathy, how can we possibly have trust? Exactly. And without trust, how can we possibly achieve anything?
0: We have a lot of work ahead of us. That's for damn sure. But again, I think that if we get more women into these pivotal and leadership roles, that will help everything evolve hugely. It's so important.
1: Oh, Gosh, yeah. And, you know, like, I think I'm, you know, as I look out, you know, having been in the, you know, in the corporate world for more than 30 years, I see huge shifts. And I think one of the, you know, one of the things that humans do, we live short lives, let's face it, you yes. know, we it. we've got, you know, we might be on the planet for 80 or 90 years, and we it's can a maybe, finite
0: amount of time.
1: Yeah. And we can maybe see, you know, 150 years in either direction, just by yeah. way of looking. And the reality is when we look at the progress that has been made in the last 20 years, it's phenomenal, but yet there's more work to be done. And I think yeah. this is where we can't forget that we are moving in the right direction. It's important right. to give ourselves that victory, because look, you know, I remember when I started my career. I started off as a, a legal secretary many, many, many years ago. In this was in the eighties, and my very first job. And I was young, and I showed up at work, and I was, you know, working for a law firm. And the office manager sat me down and said, "Okay, here are the rules." And one of the rules was a there was a dress code, and in right. that dress code was that women we're not allowed to wear pants to work. Oh my God. Yeah. That was in the eighties. Okay.
0: Jesus. Because And
1: why? It was because the managing partner did not like women in pants. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now today that of course, I mean, and this was a law firm, right? Yeah. But today, you know, that would be a discrimination cost yes. right so like look at that you know yeah okay the 80s was about was that's about 40 years ago now yeah, but yeah but it's really not that long when you think about no. it right and i remember you know when you know and i was in advertising and finally being asked to be in the boardroom with all the men and it was pretty clear that you know you were asked to be in the boardroom not to share your opinion no right you were getting a privilege to be there and to learn. <laughs> and, you know, you were to be seen and not heard. This and- is
0: laughable, though, when you, when you're, as you're, I'm just, I'm like, yeah. like, that,
1: that, that's in my career, right? That's in my career. And I, like that, I was in, I started in advertising in the late 90s. So it's not that long ago. no. You know, it's that it not. was like I can remember conversations where it was who is the best looking girl in, oh, in the Jesus. office? And let's make sure she's at the table. You know, so, yes,
0: we have made progress, definitely. But there's still so much more work to be done, you know? And I think is. this also speaks to a piece where, as you said, yes, we've made progress and it, it's pretty big. And we need to i think as a race as a hum as human beings because this is another piece of that puzzle is that we don't slow down to look and to appreciate how far we have come we exactly. don't slow down to celebrate the wins We don't slow down to look at them and see how far we've come because we're so busy checking those things off the fucking list. And then as soon as you're done, that's like, okay, on to the next, on to the next, on to. No, we need to slow down and appreciate where we've been and where we are now.
1: But, you know, I think this brings us full circle back to the beginning of our conversation around TED Talks. Yeah. Because, you know, if you think about any good TED Talk, it's actually often... A TED talk that helps us to see some of that progress or to see something, an old concept that we all thought we knew, said in a new way. Because right. that speaker, that author, took the time to slow down, took the time to reflect on what had happened, and to give us a perspective that was accessible through their point of view as the expert or the change maker really becoming the thought leader. And it's it's so powerful, right? This is why it's so important that not only women but you know diverse individuals yes take the time to really use who they are, what mm-hmm. they know and why they know it to help us see through their eyes so that we can grow along with them
0: to move everything forward yeah absolutely to elevate the consciousness for sure i love it i I am so loving this conversation andrea (laughs) amazing i'm so inspired and fired up and it's just incredible so thank you for all of this for bringing your viewpoints to this i'm curious to know how talk boutique has evolved as a company from when you first founded it to where you are now
1: Yeah, it has evolved a lot. You know, like I said, in those early, early days, we were a speakers bureau and a coaching company. And... Today, we still have both of those parts to the business, but the why we do what we do has really shifted. And in fact, you know, like I said, we are really focused on creating or building thought leaders. For me, it really is about creating impact in our world. You know, when I think about the early days, you know, we were looking at TED speakers. And now, from what I know today, I know that. We're building a future right now, every one of us, and the future that we want to create. And you know, you talk to anyone, and they, you know, they'll say, "Well, we need to focus on climate change, or we need to focus on, you know, governance." Or there's so many different ways in which our future people are, are believing our future needs to be driven. But what I know to be true, and what our company now, Talk Boutique, focuses on is the concept of storytelling through the lens of idea. Why? Because our future is the sum total of the stories that we told ourselves today. So if we are telling stories today and they're not what we want, well, then the future that we're creating 15 years from now will not be what we want. And so we all have a responsibility to tell our stories through the lens of what we want, and not what we don't want. And so that is what I'm focused on. It's about telling stories that have deeply held ideas inside of them that connect to a vision for the future that we all want.
0: I love that. And I think it's incredibly important to mention too, is that we all have stories to tell and share that that have importance, that carry weight. Because so many people, you hear them, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, who's going to want to listen to me? What do I have to say that any, that anyone's going to want to hear, right?
1: I hear that every day. And exactly. I, and I hear it from people that, for the most part, anyone would be like, oh, my God, I want to hear that person's <laughs>
0: voice. Yet
1: that person doesn't see themselves that way. And that yeah. that's so much of the problem is that especially If they come from a diverse background, whether they're a woman, have a different cultural background, maybe they're older, perhaps they're neurodiverse. In those groups, it's even greater that reticence to tell your story because, well, who wants to hear mine except that we need to hear it.
0: It's a necessity. Absolutely. So how do we get past that? How do we, how do we help these people to see that? Yes, your story is important. Your story matters. And first and foremost, you do have a story because again, I believe every single person on this planet has a story to share everybody.
1: Well, our lives are stories. Yeah, And they're unfolding, you know, one chapter at a time. And so when we understand that, that's a part of it. But how do we get people to step up and tell their stories? We need to be better listeners. I think that's part
0: of it. (laughs) Oh, 100%. It's funny you mention that because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this. And, I mean, there are so many different types of listening, right? People listen just so that they can speak. People are distracted listeners. And then we've got the active listeners, people who actually go into a conversation with an open mind, open ears, and actually pay attention and listen. And so she said to me, she said, I'll bet you if you walk down the street and asked 100 people if they thought they were good listeners, 99% of those people would say yes. So I did a little poll in my Facebook group about that. (laughs) And 78% of the people said they were good listeners.
1: Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I mean, what we know to be true is that very few people actually listen through the lens of curiosity. Yes. You know, because listening through the lens of how I'm going to respond is not listening.
0: No, it's not at all. Right?
1: And so when we listen from a place of curiosity, and I think that, again, that that skill is not taught.
0: No, it's not. You're right.
1: As a coach and especially as a speaker's coach, you know, that's a big part of what I do. And I listen very, very deeply to what people tell me. And it has been an interesting skill to develop because what I've found, you know, when you listen very, very deeply, you hear through their words and you know part of the coaching process so when i'm working with a new speaker i'll have them just talk to me and tell me tell me their story and I, it's usually how we start and i listen and then i will say back to them their story so they can hear their story said as a listener right because how often do we hear ourselves right and so yeah. i do that and when i tell them their story back i tell them it with an idea in mind And so often what happens is that person, there's usually the the response is is initially, wow, how did you know that about me? (laughs) And it's interesting because they just told me, they literally told me that, and yet they didn't even listen to what they said. Now, I often take some liberties because I can hear between the words, you know, as a speaker's coach is what we have to do. But even in that, they have told it to me whether they know it or not. And so there is a sense of, first of all, how did you know that about me? The second thing that often happens is they become quite emotional. You know, I've had so many, often, you know, the, the most powerful beings who break down in tears at hearing their own stories said back to them. Well,
0: because, because they- you're actually listening though, <laughs> you're actually well, paying attention.
1: And they don't realize how powerful their story is. And that's what I want them to hear is the power of that story. And it is quite a, a humbling experience. And it's an honor for me to be able to do that because, you know, I'm amazed at what happens in that shift when they hear their story and suddenly they hear how important it is to tell it.
0: I think that's beautiful. And you know, For me, as a podcast host, I look at it as an honor that I get to sit with women like yourself and all the other women that I've interviewed. And I often compare what I do to when a woman's telling her story to me, it's like, I am the passenger in the car and we're going for a drive and their story is the vehicle. And I have the honor of sitting in that car beside them as they share that journey. And they've allowed me into the car to go with them for that ride. And that for me is such an incredible honor.
1: Yeah, I hear that. I mean, you know, I think it's an interesting analogy of being in the car with them, you know, watching what's happening through their eyes and through your eyes, right? And,
0: you
1: know, but stories are powerful, and I, I'm i amazed every day to see the power of the stories that we tell and how it shifts, way in which we not only we interact, but what we do.
0: It's absolutely incredible. I've had so many women tell me or just say thank you for allowing me to share my story and for allowing me to be heard She's, because I've had women say that they've been on other podcasts where they don't even feel like they're being listened to mm-hmm. as they're speaking. And I think that's horrible. Mm-hmm. You are opening up and being vulnerable and sharing your story, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And for someone to not, to be there with you and not actually listen to it, I think that's horrible.
1: Yeah. Look, you know, I've, I've worked with so many people where that is absolutely true, you know, or where not only are you not listened to, your story isn't actually welcome. And I think that's even a bigger piece of it. Because, you know, what happens so often is we're trying to outstory each other. And allowing, especially through the lens of, you know, we live in such exciting times right now. I mean, look at us in different places right now, having, you know, doing a recording of this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, we've never met in person and yet we can have a a vulnerable and deep conversation. And so, you know, allowing ourselves the luxury of time and space to let the story that needs to be told unfold without the need to compete for the story, you know? And I think that's what's so beautiful about the world we live in, where we have these opportunities to do that. Never before in history have we had this power. And yet so many people are, and so many women are afraid to, to share their voice because it has been a competition for far too long.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that needs to shift. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, it's starting to, we just need to continue on this path and continue to encourage people to share their stories. Yeah. Cause it's so important.
1: Well, it is, you know, and I, you know, I said it before, you know, our stories are the, the history we're creating or, or the future we're creating. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what, what, kind of a, a, of a future do you want to create? I mean, we all look out and say, we need to have a better world. Okay. We'll use your story to do that. Exactly. Use your story to create it, you know, because we're living the stories that were told 50 years ago.
0: Yeah, and, for sure.
1: You know, those stories brought us to this place in time. And so what are we creating for the next 50 years?
0: Yeah. 100%. Andrea, what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do?
1: Uh, The people I work with. I am so incredibly privileged to work with the people who I do. I get to meet new people every day who are literally changing our world. And I sit back and I'm just so honored to be able to be in their orbit and to be able to help them shape their stories and I um, I love what I do it is a privilege and an honor you know I'm in I'm in the process right now of, of writing a book and as I'm writing that i'm I'm expanding and exploring those stories even further and starting to understand my own story and how it can have impact so it's an exciting process and I'm I'm very lit up to be,
0: to be <laughs> in this it. world it's an incredible feeling isn't it
1: Mm-hmm. doing really
0: what is. you're meant to do, being finding your your purpose on this planet and uh, doing that work it's it's an incredible feeling,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do?
1: You know, I think it's I think the hardest part is playing the dual role of being the business owner and the coach. It's a really tough place to be some days because the business demands certain things of me and the coach in me, the idealist in me doesn't always want to pay attention to that. And so I'm learning how to step away a little bit from some of the, the the administrative pieces of it and to step more into being a creator and allowing others to make some of those those big decisions because at some point, you have to. You have yeah. to preserve the. I have to preserve my idealist nature because that's where my creativity comes from. And so I can still be the owner of the company, but maybe I don't have to make all of the decisions.
0: There you go. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: I think it's a combination of two things it's I'm highly intuitive and I'm a translator. I have. Always been able to understand things that others struggle with. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, back in my in my agency days and early on in my marketing career i always understood technology and marketing and i could translate between that you know and then it became you know databases and and um and technology and and so i've always been able to translate the complex in a way that simplifies it for others and today that's exactly what i do i translate for my clients these very big complex ideas. And I help them to find the simple way of, of saying it without losing the complexity or the weight or the impact of the idea.
0: Now, speaking of success, Andrea, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you?
1: The word success for me means that I've made a difference in this world, that I've actually impacted the future for the positive. Does it mean that I'm, you know, financially well off? Well, I I, I would hope so. Money is important in our <laughs> world, but it's not what motivates me. You know, I, I have always believed, and I still do believe that when you do what you're meant to do, which for me is to be a light in this world, so that those who need to work with me and those who I can help can find me, and I can help them be the lights that they need to be in this world. And so when I'm doing that, I'm a success and everything else will follow from that point forward.
0: There you go. That's it right there. The money, the money will come when you're, when you're doing what you're meant to do and you're happy doing it, everything else will follow close behind for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think I would just add to that to go, you know, you need to be clear on the life you want because yes. I think it's, you know, the money will only follow if you want a life that requires money, you know, in, in, in the yeah. quantities or whatever. So it is important. It's really, really important that you envision the life you want first so that as you are being who you need to be in this world, the life you want is being created because of it.
0: Thank you for clarifying that. That's a great point. Andrea, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why?
1: My mother. You know, I lost my mother almost a year ago. We're just coming up on the one-year anniversary of her death. Sorry for your loss. Thanks. And as she left this world, you know, I did a lot of reflection on my relationship with her. And I think what I came to understand was that my mother gave me the freedom that she never chose to have. She inspired me to use my voice, to be, you know, a bit of a troublemaker from time to time, <laughs> to, you know, take risks, to be curious, to not settle, to be different. And these were all things that she never allowed herself to be. And As I look back now, as I watched her in her final years, I could see her regrets of not having done those things. And it inspired me to take the lessons that she gave me early on in life, and to really step into them. And then, you know, sort of put with that the other person would be my daughter. Because of course, you know, my mother inspired me to use those things. But my daughter now, as I as I see her as a young adult, I want to be the best version of myself to create, you know, sort of an opening for her to be that, you know. So, you know, look, we as women all step into our own voice in whatever way makes sense. But in doing so, we give a maybe a, a model or a, uh, a way for others to see their place. And I, and so I, I, I hope that my child can see that in me.
0: So beautiful and so powerful. I love it. What is the most recent investment you've made in yourself?
1: So I just came back from a month long sabbatical in Bali.
0: Oh, very nice.
1: Yeah. And it was an investment. You know, I had never taken a month off. I had never oh. left, you know, everything behind. And I I literally completely unplugged. And Okay. So
0: I have to ask, how hard was that for you to do?
1: It was hard, I would say, for about... <laughs> about 3 days. And then, I mean, gosh, being in this beautiful country, it was so different. It was so incredible. I was I was staying with a friend of mine, so I lived like a local while I was there. It was an incredible investment in me, and what it did was it gave me a completely new perspective on myself and what I want for the next 20 years of my life. You know, some of it is still forming. What I knew was that in the coming back from that kind of a trip and truthfully investment was I am not the same person who left and the person who I will become will be better to take myself and my company and everything into the future. So it's, it was, um, It was important. It was really important.
0: Transformation.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like one day you wake up and you're a different person.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) But
1: what it does do is as you come back into your world, at least for me, everything looks just a little bit different. And I'm able to say no to many of the things that I wasn't able to say no to before.
0: Now, that is definitely transformational. Mm -hmm. What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: You know, it's a funny word. I don't know that I like the word because what it says is I, that it takes somebody else to give me power. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's true. Um, so for me, the word itself is a little bit condescending.
0: Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three forward answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What is one thing you want, but cannot buy with money?
1: Love. Love is the thing we all want. And and it is the most valuable thing we'll ever have.
0: If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Compassion. See each other with way more love and empathy and the world would change.
0: If you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be?
1: Divergent. If you could be
0: remembered for one thing, what would it be?
1: Having helped many people to step into all of who they are and to be able to impact the world in the way that they want it to.
0: What never fails to make you laugh?
1: funny videos. I love watching funny videos. They make me laugh.
0: That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, Andrea, would you say?
1: Oh, I've had so many challenges in my life, but I, I, I think... When I was 23, I made the choice to move to Toronto by myself. I'm originally from Halifax. And that decision, that challenge of, of literally leaving everything I knew and everyone I loved behind and coming to a city that I had I had no knowledge of and didn't even have a job or a place to live, it forced me to, to see my life really differently as a young person. But it also showed me my own resilience And I have never regretted that decision. And I continue to learn from it even now.
0: Now that's stepping outside your comfort zone. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) That's the epitome of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is one of the biggest things you've done or are doing that has helped you achieve the freedom to do the things you enjoy?
1: you know, the thing that I'm still learning, but that I know is the thing that gives me the most freedom is learning how to trust. It is such a big, big lesson. And, you know, as I am right now rebuilding my business as we come out of COVID, because it was a challenging time for us. And as I am now stepping into a creative role as an author, as a a content creator, it's trusting that all is well, trusting that everything that I need in order to step into that thought leader role will be given, and I know it will. And so I'm learning to trust the process. I'm learning to trust my team. I'm learning to trust myself. I'm learning to trust the economy, the, you know, I'm learning how to trust. And that has been my biggest lesson in this life.
0: Trust and allow. That's a huge one for sure. Mm -hmm. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their lives?
1: Be a problem solver. You know, I think this is something that I see so much as a, you know, now as an employer, as somebody who works with lots and lots of people, is that so many people don't realize that they know how to solve problems. And so I had to learn that very early on in my career. And so much of my success has been because I'm a problem solver. And to be a problem solver is really actually to be creative, but approaching everything from a place of curiosity of how can I solve this or how can I change this? And then coming up with solutions and from those solutions, finding what works. I think too many people rely on everybody else to be the problem solver or looking for others to be that problem solver. We all have what we need within us. And if you just look a little deeper, we'll find the solution.
0: We all, we, so many of us seek outer validation and we need to, to learn to think outside the box more.
1: Yeah. And to see, and to see around ourselves. Like I think it's not just think outside the box. It's actually to see outside of the box, right? Yeah. Because we, we, we get, we get boxed in and it's like, oh, that's all we have. But the reality is, that's not all we have. Step outside of it and just, yeah. just look, put your head up. Open your damn eyes.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just look
1: around. And it's amazing. And, you know, like we get tunnel vision. I was, I was grocery shopping yesterday and, you know, it's funny you're in the grocery store and head down, like, what do I need? This, this, this. And I, at one point yeah. I actually, I don't remember why, but I just happened to look up and I was like, Holy, wow, I didn't see any of this stuff, you know? And it was just one of those moments of like, wow, yeah, put your head up and look around. There's an entire world around you that often we just miss.
0: I think that also goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how we as human beings need to learn to slow the fuck down. Oh, yeah. And take notice of what's going on. As that saying goes, stop and smell the roses. Like, seriously, take the time. Yeah. Why are we always in such a damn rush? Like, just slow down.
1: Well, I think if COVID taught us nothing, it taught us that we have to slow down. Yes. You know, I think that, you know, the pre pandemic, we were moving at such a ridiculous pace. It was unsustainable. And I think one of the best outcomes of the pandemic is so many of us have no tolerance anymore for that level of output. We just are incapable of running at that pace anymore, because it is not okay for us to run at that pace. Our bodies were breaking down, our minds were breaking down. And we see that that's why we've got so much mental health issues. Because you know, the reality is, so many people out there right now are still trying to do it. And we just don't have the tolerance for it anymore. And so we have to call it and go, we are slowing down and be unapologetic about that.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. I agree with you. Absolutely. It needs to carry on. And in some aspects it has, but in others I think we still need to learn. Like, did you did you not learn anything from what we've just been through the past two and a half years? Like, look at what happened. You know, I mean, this was the first opportunity in century, in a century that we've had this opportunity to slow down and just be be mm-hmm. in the present moment stop thinking about what needs to get done stop thinking about what happened before just be in the present moment period and enjoy it
1: and enjoy it and look the world didn't end when no. we were all locked down no you know and i think you know that that's the message like like for me like i said my business was i mean i work in a business you know in in an industry that was largely driven by by live events. And so we saw, you know, the, the first month of the pandemic, every project that I had on the go was canceled within about a five day period. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we didn't see revenue return for over a year. And even then it returned only at about 20% of what we had previously experienced. Yeah, And so it has been an incredibly challenging time for us, but yet we're still here. We're still, yeah, resilient. Right. We're still doing the work. We're still imagining what could be. And that is a success in and of itself. And therefore, why rush?
0: Listen, the loss was great on so many different fronts for so many people, financial, personal, like, it, it was massive. It was horrible. But I think that If we can just look within, because I believe that this was one of the best things that could have happened, because even though in spite of all the loss, there is a silver lining, we just need to look within and find it because it is there. Mm -hmm. And the lesson was for us to slow the fuck down, that we can't continue at the pace we were going.
1: Well, I think, you know, I think history will look back at this time and say it was a time of great awakening. You know, we saw more people become awake to their lives because we've been sleepwalking through our lives. Yeah. And so we became, we, we awakened to what was important in this time and it's still happening. I mean, we're not out of it, but you know, I think, like I said, history will look back and see how this was the point at which Everything changed. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're at the pivot point of a change, it's damn painful. Oh, man. And scary. And scary. And, you know, and disorienting. And, you know, like we are at the crux of it. And yet, this is the point where people would say, I wonder what it was like to live through that. (laughs) you know so you know we this will be a time that will be looked back by future generations with respect with admiration you know and with curiosity of i wonder i wonder what that was like and so you know it's hard yes and it's really an exciting time
0: for sure i agree Andrea, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: You know, I'm thinking it would be a world leader. You know, actually, who would be really interesting is Madeleine Albright. I mean, I know she's, you know, no longer sort of in that seat of power that she once was, but she's had a purview of, you know, her or Angela Merkel, like those, those two sort of those who have been in the seat of power of looking at world events of changing how we perceive women and leadership, I would love to hear their lessons. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is another one who Mm -hmm. had such, such foresight. And I think that's what I I see in these, in these powerful women. to me, they have shaped the world of governance in a way that is beginning to be more accepting to women. And we're not there yet. Oh, we've got so much more, you know, territory to build, but they, they're laying down some of those pieces for us and it's important. I don't know who the leaders, the the new ones are coming up. And I think we, and that's a shame that I don't know because I should know. And I I don't say that with self-deprecation. I'm simply saying it because I don't think our world knows who they are. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, I was just gonna say.
1: You know, so but it is it is stepping into that. Nancy Pelosi would be another one. Like these are women who are shaping so much of the governance. And I think if we look to the next twenty years, we're seeing all of our systems and structures crumble right now. Yeah. And governance is in that place. But as it crumbles and as we rebuild it, women have to have a bigger voice. And so how are we doing that? And who who are the ones that will come up and and really make a difference in the, the governance structures that we will create? Because they will look very different than the governance structures we have today. And, you know, sure. I'd go out on a limb and say, you know, we'll start to see global governance come out of some form of a female-led initiative.
0: And so it should. It's time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's long overdue. I agree. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: I would tell myself that there's nothing wrong with me, that my brain does work differently than other people's. And just to hang in there. And that I am as smart as I think I am. And don't worry about being right. Because it's not about being right What you're trying to do is to be heard and to be seen. And so from that place, be okay with the fact that your brain works differently and that when you're speaking up, ask people to hear you and not to agree with you.
0: Love it. Lastly, Andrea, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: You're more powerful than you know. You create impact with every step you take. And so step up, tell your story, use your story, recognize that everything that has led you to this point in your life has given you the words and the tools and the concepts that you need to create the impact that you want to make. Don't be afraid. Use your voice. Tell your stories and be the change that you want to see in the world because we need your story. We need your diversity. We need you to show up in all of who you are without apology.
0: Beautifully said. Wow. <laughs> what an incredibly powerful and beautiful way to end the interview, Andrea. Thank you so much. This has been such an incredibly beautiful, inspiring, amazing, thought-provoking, educational <laughs> conversation. I truly appreciate every minute that we've gotten to spend together today and, and share in your journey. You are a bright, beautiful light doing incredibly important work and shining that light out into the world and and shining that light out into the world for women to know that they need to step up and use their voice. So thank you for being here today. I appreciate you. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Well, thank you, Brad. It has been my honor and privilege to be a guest on your on your show today. And I am so excited for um, everything that you're doing and the creations that you're making in this world. So thank you for putting this out there and for uh, doing all you do for women.
0: My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Andrea Sampson. She is the CEO and founder of Talk Boutique and an executive speakers coach who works with TED Speakers. Thank you so much, Andrea. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day.
1: Thanks so much, Brad. You take care.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.